so long self. That's kind of one of the theme of what we've been working on. In fact, uh, if you want to get to it, we're going back into Romans again. We're going to finish up chapter 6 today, uh, starting with verse 15. So you've got your Bibles, you've got your devices, go ahead and uh, grab on to those. And, and uh, we'll, we'll head into there a moment, in a moment. Uh, just a, a little bit of uh, uh, information. Some of you remember, you've you heard the name William Wallace. Now, most of us, maybe especially the guys, I don't think only, but, you know, we hear William Wallace when we go to Braveheart, the movie. Uh, the historical uh, individual uh, was uh, really one of the heroes of, of the Scottish. He, he uh, helped them. He had a vision for the fact that they could get free from the tyranny that they'd been under with English rule for a number of years. And, and uh, you know, it wasn't always bad, but there were times when it was a very cruel tyranny and just, uh, uh, just de- demanding... Uh, uh, their children uh, to serve when, when, and parents giving up that, loss of life. Uh, really, uh, the whim of the king could, could cause you to lose your life. And so they came up, there came a point where they said, you know, we've had enough of this. And uh, William Wallace was one of the key individuals who said, you know, we can, we can deliver ourselves. We can get out from under this tyranny. We can be free uh, from this slavery. And, and so he, he began to lead them. And you, if you know a little bit of the story, uh, had a lot of victories, did, did some... Uh, amazing things. Uh, really looked like they were on the path to freedom when William Wells got, ca- got captured. And he got captured and sentenced to death, and uh, they, they actually, uh, the, the movie depicts it a little different, but he was af- actually drawn and quartered, uh, where he was put on a, these beams and pulled uh, his, until his uh, joints went out of joint and, uh, and was killed that way. But the, in the movie, there's a scene where uh, it portrays him right that last moment. And as you watch that scene, you, you, you look out and here are the crowds. Their hero is, is uh, tied down to this, this contraption, uh, obviously suffering. And, and as you look out and it pans on the crowd, and there are a few out there that are mockers that, are, that are, were not for him, but a lot of his followers have gathered there. And you read it on their faces. Their faces say, this is the end of the line. It's done. Our dreams, our hopes... Our desires, our, our, our desire for freedom is finished. And they're there basically to say goodbye to their future until he says something. Let's see what happens. Merci.
what seemed like the end was really the beginning. I suspect that's a, a much like those who stood around the cross the day that Christ actually hung there and gave his life. I, I suspect that many of their sentiments are very similar. This is the end. This is, you know, we had our dreams, our hopes. They were tied up in this man. We thought, we thought he was the Messiah. The Jews had been looking for this individual who would come and, and was going to deliver them from the slavery that they found them in. At that particular time, slavery to the Roman rules, but they were very familiar with slavery. Most of most of their generations had spent at least some time uh, uh, with their heads under the hand, next under the hands of another ruling source of, and so they were anxious for that deliverance. And that Messiah was coming, and He was going to deliver us. And now the one they thought was the one was hanging on a cross, and He said, "It's finished," and He breathed His last. They thought it was over. They thought that was the end. And it wasn't, you know that. It was the beginning. What they thought, where they thought their hopes died, their hopes just came to life as they discovered what was really going on. And so, very, very familiar. And, and so what Paul has been dealing us with and talking about is, is a theme, this, this perspective of the fact that we no longer have to be in slavery. We no longer have to live under the thumb of this old self that has dominated us and destroyed us. And it's interesting, in my own devotions this week, uh, I came to a passage that, uh, I don't know how I got there, but let me get back to, came to a passage in the Old, oh, here, Old Testament that, that struck me because it's a theme. It's the theme we see uh, even as we look in this passage in Romans. Uh, Jesus, it's God and he's, and he's through a prophet, he sent a prophet and he said to the people, the Israelites, he said, there's something I need you to learn. And at the time, and if you remember their history, they'd been, they had uh, King Saul. They, for years, they had no king. They, were, they followed God. That was who, all they needed. But then they be, asked for a king. They wanted to be like the other nations. And so they, God gave them King Saul, and then King David, and then King Solomon. And King Solomon started off pretty good, did all right for a while, and then led the, the nation in directions that were very destructive. Uh, and when he died, the, it was so destructive, his rule towards the end, that uh, the kingdom divides. And there's, from that point on, you have, you have a number of kings from the different divided kingdom. And some of them are okay, some of them are, are pretty good. A lot of them are really destructive, leading the people further and further down this path of, of decisions and direction and, and choices that, that are, uh, are ruining them as a nation. And so God steps and he sends a prophet in, a number of generations passes, and he says, here, here, what I'm trying to f- help you figure out is this. They will, however, become subject to him, talking about the king, so that they might learn the difference between serving me, God, and serving kings of others' lands. He's always putting this choice in front of his people. You have the opportunity. Who are you going to choose to serve? And that's really the theme of... of uh, Chapter 6 of Romans, where we are today, is who are you going to serve? I don't know where this is going, but it's not going the right way. Who are you going to serve? In fact, in, in the book of Romans, uh, Paul attacks uh, a number of assumptions. And you can start right in the beginning. In the, in the first chapter of Romans, he, he, there's this assumption uh, that some have, at least that they, they would like to have, and that's this idea that, well, really, I don't even believe in God. You know, I can just, if I say that, 
Maybe if I say that three times and click my heels, he'll disappear. So I don't believe in God. And so there are, there's a group that say, you know, I've assumed that there's not a God. And the reason they want to make that assumption is because they don't want to answer to a God. If he's real and there is that possibility that someday I'm going to stand before him, I'm going to have to give an account. And I don't want to do that, so I'm just going to pretend there's not a God. So he dealt with that assumption in chapter 1 and, and how misguided that is. And, and he spent some time dealing with the assumptions that the, uh, the Israelites the Israelites had. They, their, their assumption was, you know, because we have the right last name, we're okay. You know, because we're related to Abraham, you know, we don't have to worry about this God thing. It's always taken care of because our father was Abraham. And then Moses, he was one of us too. He gave us the law. And so, so we're good. The rest of you, you need to worry about this. We got it covered. And, and Paul says, ah, that's the wrong assumption. Uh, in fact, he says, uh, just, just because you come from physically, biologically from this guy Abraham, it's really those who, who have a, a faith in God that are the true sons of Abraham. So he's dealing with all these assumptions, and then when he gets into chapter 6, he says, i gotta, I got to cover a couple other assumptions. And actually, there's a couple of ways this happened. He said, there's, there's this assumption that some have that, you know what, I might as well just not even try. Sin has me. <laughs> you know what, my life experience has showed me that I really can't make right choices. And, and so really, there's not even a reason for me to, to try. I might as well just... Let it go, you know. I'll just live, live sin. Why fight it? Why fight it? I'm going to lose anyway. And so there, there's that assumption. Uh, but then there's another group, and that's who he actually begins to address. There's those, those individuals that say, you know, well, you've taught us, Paul, and the other disciples, that God is a gracious God. In fact, he is so gracious that no matter what my sin is, no matter what my past, my story is, no matter how many decisions I've made and how destructive they've been, that God's grace can cover them all, which is true. But then they took this jump from there, and they leap from that point of saying, so really, sin doesn't matter, does it? So if, if that's God's grace, and God's grace can cover it all, then why don't I just go, why not sin? In fact, actually, you think about it, I make God look really good, because he looks very gracious. When you look at my life, and I can say, yeah, but me and God are good. You, you, a person's going to walk away and say, boy, that is a gracious God. If he's, you know. And so, so they have this, these, these twisted thought processes about this, this whole thing. And, and so Paul's dealing with those perspectives, those assumptions, and, he, and why they make really no sense at all. And, and so we've gotten to, down to verse 15 now, and he makes this statement. Uh, he says, what then shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Now, he's going to give us more information. But first thought, if, if you've been following along this whole series, you're saying, well, wait a minute, here, he said this. And th- this is exactly how he began chapter 6, was this whole statement about sinning and by no means. And so why, what, he's kind of getting redundant here, repetition. And, well, maybe he thinks we're slow, so we need to keep hearing it, and eventually it'll sink in. Because uh, this sounds really exactly what he said back in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? And remember Paul's response to that was, by no means, that's, that's a, that is a terrible idea. Crazy thought. 
In fact, a little later he says, why? You've been brought from death to life. He says, you know, why would you even think such a thing? Think back to your life prior to understanding God's heart for you and accepting that gift of forgiveness. And and think back to those destructive decisions you were made. And and every time you decided, I want this, I'm going this direction, I'm going to do this, and it had nothing to do with God, it's just simply your desires. How'd that work out? Because if you think about it, it didn't go so well, did it? There's a lot of things that you go, as you think back into it, you're saying, oh, man, yeah, that's right. I, I, I don't really want to go back there. So Paul, so Paul says it doesn't make sense to be saved from that and then to step back into it. And, and, and in fact, you know, uh, it's interesting. Uh, when Mary and I, our house we lived at out, out east, uh, we had a screen in back porch, and on the back porch was uh, I had my uh, grill. You know, every man has to have his grill. And uh, so I had my grill, and, and lots of times uh, our, our uh, grandkids would come over, our, the ones that are older now, graduating from high school and college and that kind of thing. They'd come over and visit, and, and one of my granddaughter, Eden, in fact, some of you prayed for Eden. She's the one that was really sick a, a while back, and God was gracious and brought her through that. But uh, when Eden was a little peanut, about that, about that tall, she would come over to our house, and and uh, we'd have them over for dinner, and I usually in the summertime I'd be I'd be grilling something, and so Eden would come running on the back porch to see me, and she she always was kind of you know hovering too close for my comfort for the grill, and I would remind her, I'd say, now Eden, that's hot, don't touch that, and and sometimes she'd put her hand, I said, don't touch that, it'll burn you, and so that was rep- and that was almost repeated almost every time she was there, and she'd come out on the porch. Well, one time they came to visit, and. I don't know if she'd been thinking about this. She must have because she came, she ran on the back porch. I was back there grilling something. She ran past me and with both hands went right up and put them on the grill. I never had to tell her again (laughs) not to touch the grill. And that's how Paul's saying, that's, that's how ridiculous this thought is. You actually remember these decisions. You've made this pattern of life that you had. Remember where it took you? How destructive. In fact, that's what death means. Death is obviously <coughs> when we, we think of the end of life. Yeah, that is part of it. But remember, when, when, when God talked to Adam and Eve, he said, okay, Adam, if you sin, the moment you sin, you will die. And you're sitting there thinking, well, he didn't die. I remember the story goes on. No, he did. The destruction began that day. And so Paul says, why would you even consider stepping back into that after being set free? It it makes no sense, by no means. But this sounds like a familiar argument. You know, we get back here and why? And and so, you know, Paul, I got it the first time. Why are you saying it again? What shall we say then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. And so why are you repeating this? Well, some of you paid attention. Is he repeating himself? It's a difference, isn't there? In fact, in the original language, which is Greek here, he, it's, it's a very obvious difference. In verse 1, here's what he said. You know, God's so gracious, why don't I just go on living in sin? 
habitually sinning. Why not? You know, that's always been the pattern in my life. I've, I know now he'll forgive past, present, and future, his graces. So why not just go ahead and live that way? Sins, sins must not really be a big deal because God will forgive it. And, and so why not just habitually live in sin? Why should I even try to change? You know, I, I remember years ago I, I turned on uh, uh, this, uh, uh, one of those, uh, uh, supposed to be a Christian station, and they had this, this kid singing on it, and I don't remember the song. All I remember is the chorus said something like this, I got my ticket to heaven, so, you know, and that's kind of that perspective. That's how, you know, so, well, I got my ticket, so, you know, what, why would, really what I do from here on out doesn't matter, because when the end comes, I got my ticket, I'm getting in. That's not quite what's the pattern in God's Word, and, 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 but notice that's not what he's saying this time. That's habitual sinning, but this time he says, Shall we, shall we sin because we're not under the law? See, this is another perspective. He says, okay, some of you get this idea that, oh, yeah, obviously I shouldn't just habitually live this life of sin and for all kinds of reasons. I recognize that. I'm, I am a follower of Christ now, and I, and I know that, I know that I, that should not be the pattern of my life anymore. You know, but we negotiate. But couldn't I just, like, once in a while, just kind of dip my toe back in? You know, just, I'm not going to do it on a regular basis. I just, you know, I kind of like to do whatever it is in your fill in your blank there. And I'm not going to do it all the time, but, but just once in a while. Wouldn't it be okay? I'm not going to be a habitual sinner. I understand. I get what you're saying, Paul. Yeah, I left that life. I'm not going back into that life. But, you know, there are a few things that... Well, once in a while, I just kind of have a craving for, and is it really that big a deal if I just, you know, once in a while, just sin? You know, I, I see different versions of that. I have Catholic friends and, and uh, who, and maybe this is your background too, and, you know, there are a lot of really devout Catholics that they would never consider this, but I also had a lot of friends in high school that here, here was the pattern. So it's the week progresses, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Friday is party night. So they're talking about the party, they're going to go to the party, and, uh, you know, there's even this, uh, you know what, I'm going to get, I am going to get drunk as a skunk. You know, it's been a hard week. I am going to let loose tonight. And then tomorrow I'll go to confession. We'll square everything with God and I'll be good for another week. But the Protestants, you know, well, we would never do that. No, we do it this way. I'll do it now, I'll ask forgiveness later, because he's promised he's going to forgive, you know, so... I'll just, just, you know, I'm just kind of do my thing, and then I'm going to come say, oh, God, please forgive me again. And, and Paul s- says, that, that way of thinking, that way of thinking really demonstrates that you don't understand how destructive, or maybe you've forgotten how destructive those decisions were in your life. What, what they caused to take place. And so he says, I, I want to I kind of demonstrate, and, and, and he puts it, I skipped down a few verses, we'll come back to the verse in a moment. But he says, what I'm about to tell you, I'm going to put it in human terms. Now, he's going to use an illustration. You and I won't get the illustration quite as much as they would have back in that day. But the illustration he's going to get, in fact, this terminology he uses a lot in reference to us as 
as uh, actually human creatures. But he says, I want to give you an illustration. I want to use it in terms that you understand. And, and the terms he uses, those people, they would have said, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So he goes on. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. He says, don't you understand that when you make a step back into that thing, when you choose to sin, you are giving yourself in obedience to a master. And, and they would have got that because, you know, slavery was a, was a part of their system. They were very aware. And, you know, and slavery works a couple of ways. In fact, there's a couple of different terms and perspectives that, that, that in, as it's used in Scripture. But so, so the, a lot of them either had slaves, were slaves. Some of them were still in slavery. And, and, you know, slavery wasn't a horrible deal other than certain aspects of the fact that you weren't free to, free to do your own thing, which he kind of alludes to here. But if you had a really good master, it wasn't a bad deal sometimes. In fact, there, there are instances where an individual would come to a point and their master would free them and they would turn right around and say, no, I want to continue on as your slave because I know I've got it better with you than I would have it anywhere else. That wasn't a regular occurrence, but it did happen. There were some masters that they just treated their, their people like family. They cared, cared for them and, and they knew out there, I'm not going to have that in here, I do. But then there were also slaves that they had horrendous slave masters. They, were, they, 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 would, they would use them up. They didn't care what it did to them physically. They'd separate families, they, you know, uh, and, and they would drive them into the dirt. And, and then when they, they died from, from being overworked and the, and the way they were treated, they'd throw them aside and buy a new one. That was their perspective of that. And, and, and he's saying... You understand this, that if you had that kind of a master and it was that destructive, and, and probably he could say, some of you have that. If you ever, if you were ever offered freedom, would you ever consider that? I mean, so, so, so you had one of those really bad slave masters, and you, you somehow got your freedom. And you're hanging around one day, and it's been going really nice that you got away from him, and the, the scars have started to heal. You can actually start to stand up straight again. And then you think to yourself, oh, you know what? I kind of miss those days. I wonder if he'd let me come back for a day or so, just, you know, to, to, to have just those warm memories of being beat again. He's saying, that's how ridiculous this thinking is. God has delivered us from something even more destructive than that, why would we ever consider stepping back into that? Even for an instant. Why would I even take the chance? What if, what if that master grabbed a hold of my life again? Why would I even take the chance? goes on, don't you know that when you, when you offer yourselves as someone to obey him as slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey. Now, there's a life principle that Paul's going to present here. He's actually already presented it earlier on one side. Earlier, he said that prior to accepting that gift of forgiveness, the reality was 
We were, we were slaves, and we really did not have decisions. We thought we had freedom, but we were, you know, we were fooling ourselves. We were completely controlled, mastered by that old self, that old nature. And, and, and add to that, that old nature is under control of a guy called Satan who's alive and well and very real. And, and he says, you, you really didn't have a choice. And, and, and you know, I, we, we pushed back. We talked about this last Sunday. If you didn't hear the message, you might not have gone to get it. You know, it's like, well, I wasn't all bad. No, I get that. But even when we were at our best, we still were not doing it for the reasons God created us. And so we were still in the wrong in our relationship with him, and, and, and it still was going to end badly. He says, so, so that's, that's where you were. But he says, now, as, now that because you've accepted that forgiveness and that gift, it has put you in a position where now you, you, there's a new principle in play in your life. You have the opportunity to make a choice. Every believer now has two choices. Every believer has two choices. We are always serving one of two masters. Now, prior to becoming a follower of Christ, we only had, we didn't have a choice. We were serving the master, Satan, and our old nature. But now we have the opportunity to not be under that master's thumb anymore. But there's only two. And, you know, some of us like say, well, no, I kind of want a neutral. You know, I kind of want to, uh, uh, you know, some days I want to get up and just say, well, I'm not going to serve that. I'm not going to go, but no, but, but I want to be, you know, God, I kind of want to do my own thing today. Well, no, you've, you're serving a master. There is no middle ground. We're, we're, we're serving one or the other. That's what Paul's saying. That's, that's the reality of, of where we are. Every day we either serve that king who has in, in his heart our blessing, our best, who created us, for a purpose, and he knows what that purpose is. And, and the only time we'll have find peace and satisfaction in his life is when we're living according to his design for our life. We're either serving him, that king, or we're serving that other master, and there is no middle ground. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, you have now been set free and have become slaves to righteousness. You used to be slaves to sin. You had no choice. You thought you did. You know, it's funny. One time Jesus was talking to the Israelites, and he, and he referred to them as slaves. And, and they said, we're not slaves. That was a stupid thing for them to say because they were. They were slaves of the Romans. They knew it. But they just couldn't fathom the thought that someone would actually tell them, call them what they were. We're kind of that way too. We hear something like this, I'm, I'm, I was never a slave to sin. Yeah, you were. And me too. We used to be slaves to sin. But we're set free. We're given the opportunity to be free and uh, set free of that sin and the consequences. And the reality is God has forgiven us past, present, and future. You know, we have that opportunity now for the first time in our life to live according to the design which we, with which we were created. created. You know, I had heard it illustrated one time, you know, it's kind of like a train that says, uh, you know, I don't like going on the tracks. I want to kind of do my own thing. Well, it, it with, gets off the tracks. That's not, that's going to be miserable. It's not going anywhere. And that's the way we live sometimes. Lord, I don't want, I want to do my own thing. But he's designed us. And, and when we're on track... You know, and some of us are struggling. We're, why am I constantly in this upheaval in my life? Why am I constantly 
following this pattern? Why does this destruction seem to follow me everywhere I go? It's because you're, 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 you're still allowing yourself to be a slave to that master that you don't have to be a slave to anymore. He introduced this subject of the law, and the law is a really interesting thing. And that's not necessarily talking about Moses' law, the Ten Commandments, or it would be capitalized. It's talking about this, you know, we all kind of have our little system. And, and prior to Christ, we, we all kind of live, we, we usually live by, even if we believe in God, we live by this system. And the system is, you know, it's, it's kind of this system of, uh, of scales. In fact, Paul talked about it. He, he, he uh, lived under that system, and he was convinced prior to Christ that he was faultless. <coughs> and you're saying, how could anybody be convinced of that? Because he kept the laws until he broke the laws. But when he broke the laws, then he'd keep the law about breaking the law. And then so once he, it was kind of like going to confession on Saturday or asking forgiveness. He said, you know, I, even when I mess up, I follow the procedure so that I straight. And, and then he came to realize, in fact, in that same passage, you can look at it later in Philippians. He's, he says, what I've come to realize is that that was really a pile of crap. <laughs> that was all the good things I thought about myself were were manure. That's the term. That's not the way the English puts it because we like to dress it up. But that's what we're talking about. He'll talk more about that when we get to chapter seven. But he says, "Now you've been set free from sin. Why would why would you ever even consider?" Stepping back in, even sticking your little toe into something that has proven to be so destructive. That's where some of us are today, isn't it? You made a decision. You can remember. You could tell me. You could tell me this is when I came to understand God forgive me. His grace has covered my sins, past, present, and future, and and, and, man, I, 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 there are some things I look back to. In fact, Paul goes on, he talks, he says, you know, you used to get this. You used to understand that you have a choice. But now you're stepping back into that. And, and here's what it used to do to you. It used to destroy you. It, it, you, you there were no benefit. It resulted, the choices resulted in death, and it didn't work out for you. Why would you consider going back to something that just caused shame and destruction, going back to things that, that you know, people ask you, no, I'd rather not talk about it. When God wants to give you wholeness, in fact, He loves you so much, He wants you to be for, with Him forever, but even now in this life, He wants you to experience what it's like to be under His hand of blessing. So we have a choice to make. And, and if you're honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, uh, some of us right now are saying, yeah, I'm right there. I'm still, you know, I'm back there. And, and Paul says, you don't have to be. You've made a choice. You've, just, you've chosen to serve a master who's proven to you over and over again. He's just out to destroy you. He's out to destroy you, the people around you. Why are you serving him again? In fact, he ends this kind of with that summary in, in the last verse of, the, of chapter 6. The wages of sin is death. The sin earns us a destructive life. In fact, if we don't come to Christ, it earns us a, an eternal separation from God. 
But God's gift is eternal life. And that isn't just talking about the future. He's saying that's what he wants for you and I now. So let loose. Quit serving that master that isn't, half, isn't over you anymore. He has no hold on you. That old self doesn't have to be in control. Those, you don't have to make that choice again. You don't have to, have to sin just because it's in front of you. You can actually say, God, I need your help, but no, I'm not going that path anymore. It's time to decide. Let's pray. Father, <laughs> man, I, you know, there, I, in my own personal life, there have been times because of the decision I've made, because I have chosen to, to obey a master who's already proven he's just out to destroy me, and, and yet I've chosen to, to, maybe this time it'll be different, and it hasn't been, and I'm actually so miserable when that happens. And Father, maybe folks sitting in this room right now are saying, man, that's where I'm at. I just, my life is so messed up right now. And they may be. They may have already accepted that gift of forgiveness that you offered, but, but they're still choosing to serve that master who's already, already made it clear, I'm going to destroy you. And, and so today, Lord, just help them to think correctly. That's what Paul's trying to do is make us really think about this, to think correctly about this. Why would I ever allow that master to be in control again? There are some folks here, Lord, maybe that have never maybe never heard it before or just never understood it or, or for whatever reason that they've heard about that gift of forgiveness, that restored relationship that you want, the reason your son died on the cross to, to pay the price, the wage of sin. But they've never accepted the gift. I pray that this might be the day they do, that today they say to you, God, I now believe your son died to pay the penalty of my sin so that you could forgive me, that you're offering that as a gift. And today, Lord, I accept that gift. I accept Jesus as my Savior. And I believe that I have eternal life. And I am now a new creation. Thanks, Father, for giving us a time to think this through, for giving Paul the wisdom to write these things down, because you know our heart, Lord. You know the battle. It's a battle that we can win with your help. Pray these things in your son's name.